If you could turn in your Bibles, please, tonight to the book of First Samuel. First uh, Samuel, please, in chapter one. First uh, Samuel, chapter one, please. And no doubt this will be a familiar passage to many. First Samuel, chapter one. Of course, we have there the the birth of Samuel, his mother Hannah. And even though it's a familiar portion tonight, may we come with that eager heart, ready to hear thy word, ready to hear words that we need to hear tonight. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, and we'll read some verses together. Let's hear the word of God tonight. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives, the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered... He gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And then just verse 20, and well, verse 20 will end. It says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And we'll end our reading at verse 20. We trust the Lord will bless it to your hearts. With our Bibles open, just briefly, just pray once more. And we'll ask the Lord to help us as we come to consider this prayer of this godly woman and some lessons, of course, from that prayer. So let's pray and let's seek the Lord again. Our Father and our God, we once again thank thee for the privilege that it is to be found in thy house tonight. I thank thee, Lord, for the ability to read the Scriptures, to come to portions like this tonight and to seek even instruction from them. And we thank thee that the Word of God tonight is a living book. Lord, it is something to teach every one of us as every single time we open it. I thank thee, Lord, it knows no bounds. There are words tonight, Lord, that we all need to hear. And to that end, Lord, I pray that you would even speak to my heart tonight, as you have in preparation. I pray, Lord, that I would come across in the preaching of thy word, that 
the Savior might be exalted tonight, that he might be glorified. I pray, Lord, to that end, that you would empty me of self and sin. You would take away any distracting thoughts from my mind, that, Lord, you will fill me with thy Holy Ghost. Take away the nerves, Lord, that come with even preaching thy word, with handling thy sacred word. I pray, Lord, for power to to speak well and to even just to exalt Christ, not for my own honor, not for my own glory, so that I might glorify the Lord tonight. We pray for all who have gathered, Lord, that this word tonight that would come forth will be that word that they need, a word, Lord, even just of refreshment to their souls to prepare them for the rest of this week. Lord, we pray most of all it will be your word. Lord, it will be even on to thy own glory. And so, Lord, bless us now, we pray. Lord, accept of our thanks for what has taken place and what will take place. In Jesus' most worthy name we ask those things. Amen. It's time for change. This statement is one of many that I could make tonight that I think accurately sums up this portion of Scripture that we've just read tonight. I say that because prior to the writings here of First and Second Samuel, the land of Israel was ruled by men and women known as the judges. And under the rule of these judges, which expand approximately 330 years, the nation experienced constant cycles of peace and unrest as each judge was raised up and then was put down again. And it seemed with the passing of each of these judges that the nation of Israel would fall deeper and deeper into sin and immorality. I think the final verse of Judges, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, it perfectly sums up the condition of the nation at the time. Because in that verse we read the words, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And Samuel here, along with Eli, is considered to be the last of the judges. His birth had marked the transition of rulership within the land. Because the nation of Israel, they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to be ruled by a king. They wanted a monarchy. And as a young boy, Samuel would then grow up in the temple in Shiloh. He would train under the direction of Eli. And yet upon the death of Eli and his two sons here that we've read about, Phinehas and Hophni, it fell to Samuel to become the next high priest. With that, Samuel was tasked with overseeing the transition into this monaristic state, the state of monarchy. In fact, Samuel was responsible for the crowning and the anointing of the first two kings of Israel and Judah. You have King Saul there, of course, who was the people's man. And then you have King David, who was God's man. And yet all of what I've said tonight in that respect, it began here in this portion we've read in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1 with the prayer of a woman called Hannah. And although Hannah certainly had her first share of difficulty in life, and we'll look at that in a little more detail in a moment, yet at the same time, she is a tremendous example to us all of what it means to pray. Because Hannah believed tonight in the power of prayer. She believed in the ability of God to answer her prayers. And we look at more than one verse tonight from this chapter, but mainly we're going to focus on the words there in verse 11. Because these, this verse here really gives us an insight to this woman's prayer life. And in that verse we see that she prays with a selfless attitude. She prays for a son. She prays for a man-child. Not that she could keep this child for herself. But she desired a child so she could give him back to the Lord. And surely there's a great challenge right at the very beginning of our message tonight. Particularly for any here who have children and here tonight who are a parent, because do we have that same desire here that Hannah did? 
Do we pray for our children in that fashion? Do we pray for the Sunday school here? Do we pray for our young people? Do we bring their names before the Lord? And yes, of course, our chief desire is that all of our young people would be saved if they're not already saved. But are we praying that God would pluck them out of this world? He would bring them into his work? That he would raise up children and young people from this church and from other churches to serve him in the future? And tonight I want us to look at this prayer of Hannah. This wonderful prayer of this godly woman, because in studying this prayer, I think we see some practical lessons. Practical lessons from the prayer life of Hannah. And really that's the subject that I want to consider with you tonight. It's practical lessons from the prayer life of Hannah. And the first thing we see here about her prayer life is that Hannah was persistent in prayer. She was persistent in prayer because when you consider the life she lived to this point, all of the difficulty, all of the hardships she had suffered, we could say she was persistent. Because on more than one occasion, reference is made in the chapter to the fact that she was barren. She couldn't have any children. And Elkanah, her husband here, had taken another wife. She's called Penina here. And any time that Hannah was in this woman's company, this woman took every opportunity to provoke her, to mock her, to laugh about her. You look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Because we're given an insight to the kind of relationship that Elkanah had with his wives. Verse 4 says, And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And Elkanah here makes no attempt whatsoever to hide the relationship he had with Hannah, his love for her. You might even say, based on what you read in verse 5, he did greater love for Hannah than he did for Penina, because it says there he gave her a worthy portion. He gave her a double portion. He loved Hannah. That's what it says. But then the author adds a little caveat at the end of verse 5, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And therefore, in order for the family line to continue, Elkanah, he takes a second wife, this woman called Penina, And maybe I'm harsh in what I'm about to say, but in taking a second wife here, Elkanah, he shows a lack of faith. Because rather than praying about the situation, rather than coming to the Lord and pleading about the circumstances, he takes matters into his own hands. He marries another. And as a spiritual head of the home, Elkanah should have been seeking the Lord. He should have been relying upon God to meet his needs in that regard. But no, he simply takes another wife takes another who can provide him with children. But he's not the only example we have in the Old Testament. We have Abraham. We have Rachel. There, Jacob's wife. There's Abraham. There's Jacob. Abraham's wife, of course, was Sarah. Jacob's wife was Rachel. And you have Abraham there in the book of Genesis, whom the Lord promised would be a father of many nations, And yet he fails to trust God and his promise because he takes another wife. He takes Hagar. Jacob, he takes three other wives before his beloved Rachel conceives. And these men, in this regard, they fail to trust God. They failed in their duty as heads of home to pray for their wives, to pray for their circumstances, to rely on God to provide. Instead, they took multiple wives in order to get the male heir that they desired. And surely God would have been displeased at the behavior because the Bible mandates that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. 
You turn in your Bible tonight to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, please. Because we have the opposite situation there in Luke chapter 1. We have a woman called Elizabeth, who was, of course, a cousin of Mary. Elizabeth also was barren. And yet, rather than taking a second wife, her husband, Zacharias, he prays to God over the situation. And God answers that prayer there in verse 13 of chapter 1. It says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And this is how Elkanah should have been praying. It's the duty of every head of the home to pray for their wives. And yet we find that it is Hannah here who is setting the godly example in their home. And you consider all that Hannah had went through up to this point in time, and you might expect to find a woman who's weak in her faith. A woman plagued by bitterness and resentment over the lot in her life so far. And yet we read no such thing. Because Hannah didn't allow her own personal circumstances to, uh, to dictate or to affect her prayer life in any negative way. First Samuel chapter 1 We've read it already, verses 3 to 7. We see that every single year, Elkanah and the family would make that journey up to Shiloh to offer sacrifices, and Hannah would have been there. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, it tells us that she prayed unto the Lord. Then in verse 19, it tells us that they rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1, we have three words, and Hannah prayed. And what an example then Hannah is of a woman who is persistent in prayer despite her circumstances. And I wonder tonight if someone were to describe our prayer lives, would they reflect Hannah's in any way? Do we persist in prayer when uh, difficulty comes? And I say that tonight because it's relatively easy to pray, isn't it, whenever things are going well, when you're on that mountaintop, when things are going rosy and they're dandy. But how quickly things will change when some difficulty comes along, when some trial comes into your life, when your circumstances are not so, so good. I think at times we allow those circumstances to consume us. We've become so caught up in it all that we often fail to see the benefits of prayer. At a time when we should be on our knees and bringing our worries to the Lord, we can allow bitterness to set in. We can allow ourselves to think that God doesn't care about us. We do the opposite of what Christ commands us to do in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Because that verse says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Hannah displays great fervency, great zeal for the place of prayer, and she's a wonderful example, a tremendous example tonight of how we ought to behave when difficulty comes into our lives. Hannah was persistent in prayer, but I want you to see also here tonight that she was particular in prayer. She was particular in prayer because look at verse 11 and look at the second half of that verse. She says, remember me. And not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. You see, Hannah doesn't pray for any child. She prays for a man-child. She prays for a son. And she's specific here. She's particular in that prayer. And in praying for such a need, she recognized the need of the nation at that time. The nation of Israel was living in sin. 
committing wickedness at every opportunity. And Hannah would have seen this was right before her eyes. She couldn't have missed it. And she recognized that only God could change things. We see something else in her petition here because it highlights her selfless attitude. Oh, she recognized the need of the nation was greater than her own need. Greater than her own desire for a child, her own desire to be a mother. And I say that because you look again at verse 11. It says, Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And such a promise there is significant whenever you understand that Elkanah was of the tribe of Levi. And therefore Hannah knew that if she was to have a male heir, then it was his responsibility as a Levite to go into the temple at the age of 25. But Hannah takes things further here because she makes a vow if the Lord gives her a son, then she would give him back to the Lord all the days of her life. The child would train in the temple from his birth and he would continue to serve the Lord right up until his death. She prays in a fashion that put the need of others above her own needs. And again, I think that is a challenge to us because is that how we pray? Are we praying tonight, not my will, but thine, Lord? I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I only want to be in the center of your will. And I make that statement because I think, and I look at myself firstly tonight, we can be so selfish when it comes to praying. All that matters is that we get what we want. It doesn't seem to matter at times whether or not it's God's will for our life. You look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10 because you see something else here about her prayer life. In verse 10, we see that she was passionate in prayer. She was passionate in prayer. Look at verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And you read those words and you see a woman here who's so full of grief. It tells us there that she wept sore and those words don't do it justice. It tells us there literally she wept greatly. Does that not speak of a woman tonight that was at her wit's end? Perhaps unable to endure any more of the provoking or the taunting by Penina. She's better in soul here over the circumstances in her life. And she just pours her whole heart out onto the Lord. She's had enough. She can't take it anymore. But look what it goes on then to say in verse 13. It says there she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. See, Hannah was so grieved here, she couldn't even get a word out. From the previous verse, verse 12, we note that Eli was there. And Eli observed all that Hannah was doing as she was praying here. But look at how he responds in verse 14. He says in verse 14, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And again, that only goes to show the state that Hannah must have been in because Eli thought she was drunk. But look at how Hannah responds then to Eli in verse 15. She says, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul to the Lord or before the Lord. That idea of pouring out, it's a spilling forth. It's a gushing out. It's a completely emptying something. You take a glass tonight and you fill it right to the top and then you tip it upside down until the contents are empty. You see, Hannah had given everything that she could. She had nothing left to give here as she prayed. And this is real heartfelt prayer. 
There's no ritualistic praying. There's no vain repetitions in her cry. No, she simply tells the Lord everything that's on her heart. She gets straight to the point and she tells the Lord about it because she knows only the Lord can change things. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 20, that's why we read that verse tonight, it tells us that Hannah's prayer was answered because the Lord here gives her a son called Samuel. And again, I think there's a great lesson for us tonight as we consider how she prayed because while common practice would dictate that we're audible in our prayers, God also hears the inaudible prayers. He hears the silent prayers tonight. It's a good reminder tonight also regarding the manner in which we pray. Because our prayer should be directed only to God. It should never be for, to impress men. That was the belief of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, as you know. Because speaking about prayer, listen to what he says. He says, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And those are the kind of prayers that God hears. Prayers that are genuine. Prayers that are come from the heart. And may that be a reminder to us tonight to never be afraid to show emotion. Never be afraid to show passion as we come to pray. Hannah was persistent in prayer here. She also was particular in prayer. She was passionate in prayer. Do you look again at verse 11 with me? Because we see that Hannah makes a promise in prayer. That verse begins, it says, And she vowed a vow. And what was the promise? When you go down to the end of verse 11, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of my life. Hannah makes a promise, this solemn vow before the Lord. As we're about to see here, great care needs to be taken whenever you do such a thing. If you make a solemn vow before the Lord in prayer, you're declaring that you must be willing to go through with that vow, whatever the cost. Never take a vow lightheartedly. Always fully consider the circumstances and the consequences. Count the cost. Why? Well, turn in your Bibles just back a few pages to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, please. We have Jephthah here. He's the judge at the time. And this chapter tells us he's in the middle of a battle. And in verses 30 and 31, he makes a vow unto the Lord. This vow is an exchange for victory against the Ammonites. But read verse 30 with me. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he smote them from Aror even till thou come to Minnath, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And then look at verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. Now Jephthah here, he clearly acts in a rash manner. 
He didn't fully think through the vow he'd made. And in verse 34, we see the devastating consequences because it's his daughter here. It's his only child who comes out to meet him. And you can only imagine the horror upon his face as he sees his only child. But know what he says in verse 35. It came to pass when he saw her, he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter. Thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. He realized the awful mistake he made, but he also felt it was too late to go back on it. And then verse 39, we see that he fulfills the vow he made to the Lord. She returned unto her father, who did with her according to this vow which he had vowed, And yet unlike Jephthah here, Hannah, she carefully considered the consequences. She knew it was God's will to raise a man up. And therefore, whenever Samuel was born, Hannah weaned the child. She brought him to Shiloh. She honored the vow that she'd made. May that be a warning to us tonight, because whenever we make promises to the Lord in prayer, we must be willing to go through with that promise. If we're not prepared to go through with the promise, then it's best we don't make the promise in the first place. I have one other thought very quickly. If you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. Because we see here one final thing. We see Hannah's praising in prayer. Hannah was praising in prayer. Look at that verse. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And whenever you read this verse, it reveals the object of Hannah's praise. She wasn't rejoicing in her husband here. She wasn't rejoicing in her son Samuel. She wasn't rejoicing in her possessions. She was rejoicing in the Lord. All joy, all praise was directed to him, and it was her continual experience in life. I say that because the word rejoiceth here is in that sense in the original Hebrew language. It's a, my heart rejoiced here and is continually rejoicing. Why could she rejoice? Or rather, what was she rejoicing in? We'll look at verse 1. She says, I rejoice in thy salvation. And had these words read differently, had they read, for example, that she was rejoicing in the birth of her son Samuel, we would have understood that. She'd waited so long for a child, and yet her rejoicing here, it's in something infinitely higher than her son. She's rejoicing in her salvation. It's her greatest joy, and everything else in her life was secondary. And again, what a reminder that ought to be to us of what we ought to be rejoicing in. And yes, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in other things in life, but our chief reason for rejoicing in life is because the Lord has saved us. And our salvation is the greatest gift we could ever receive. And therefore, may we never allow ourselves to get to the state where we have lose the joy of our salvation. We never forget to thank Christ for what he has done on the cross for our sin. And one day we will stand before the Lord and we will see him face to face. We will be like him. And I say, if we can't rejoice in that tonight, then quite frankly, there's something wrong with us. 
we're saved tonight. And if we can't rejoice in that, what else can we rejoice in? Yet at the same time, perhaps there's somebody tonight and the situation I've just spoken about describes you. And something's happened in your life. Some trial, some difficulty. It's caused you to lose this joy that you once had. And whilst I can't empathize with you, I can't understand your circumstances because they're personal to you. I trust I can bring you some encouragement tonight from the Word of God. I just want to leave two verses with you. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. That verse says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then we have Paul's words there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And what a verse of comfort it is. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. See, not only does he promise here to be with you in your sufferings, he also reminds us they're only for a little while when compared with eternity. And that one day, you and I will be with the Lord. All pain, all sorrow, all heartache will be gone because God has promised to wipe away all tears from our eyes. And if I say, don't lose heart of your current circumstances. Take them to the Lord tonight. And in taking them to the Lord, you can acknowledge that he's able to meet every single need. He's already met your greatest need because he saved you. Surely then he's able to meet every single need that we have. As we come to pray here now tonight, may we follow this example. May we have the attitude that Hannah had. May we be persistent in our prayer. And perhaps you've been praying for years over something. Keep praying. Seen something there on, on Facebook recently. I was sharing it with a, a couple today. A lady went home to be with the Lord. She was over 100 years of age. She wasn't saved until she was 90. And you think there you're praying for loved ones. And you've been praying for so long and the Lord hasn't, hasn't saved them. And you wonder, is he going to save them? 90 years of age and the Lord saved that lady. We can be particular in how we pray. The Lord knows all of our loved ones, but you can name them. The Lord delights even in that. Never be afraid to show passion in prayer. How can you not be passionate whenever you're praying for those that you love? But most of all, may we never forget to praise the Lord for what he has done in our life to this point and what he has promised to do in the future until he takes us home. And therefore, I just want us to come to pray now. But may we think through this. There's so much more we could even look at tonight. But it's a wonderful example to us. It's just a wonderful reminder. Here's a woman, and she had difficulty in her life, and yet she still sought the Lord, and she prayed to him. And the Lord was faithful to her. And surely the Lord can be faithful to us tonight because he's unchangeable. This is the same God that we serve today, that Hannah served. And therefore, let's pray now. Let's come to the Lord, and let's come with that attitude. Just one after the other, I'll commence the time of prayer, and just you come in and... Don't feel afraid to pray.
Christ. Let's pray now. Let's seek his face.